As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Swing and a line drive, base hit right field. Max Scherzer has done it again. Do you believe it, Howie Kendrick? Part two. The celebration is on. The Washington Nationals are the world champions. Well, as of the taping of this podcast, baseball is still going on, so that's Certainly a good thing. Nick Ash, you, Todd Divas, Chase Hughes, all with you in the National Stock Podcast. I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, Chase. Even though the baseball schedule has been weird and inconsistent, the Nationals had a, a mini All Star break. Essentially, people clearly care about what's going on in baseball, and it's I guess it's maybe a little pat on the back, humble brag for us. But uh, people have been paying attention, and we're certainly really appreciated that with this thing. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to give a quick thank you to the listeners for a, a strong month of July. It was our second best month ever except for October of 2019. And guys, I'm not sure why October of 2019. I, yeah, I can't remember happened. what happened then. I, I don't know if, if yeah. you guys have any theories. Um, feel free to <laughs> let me know. But uh, thank you to the listeners and to the listeners out there. You know, you guys are Nationals fans. You probably have friends who are Nationals fans, family members who are Nationals fans. Spread the word. If you like what we do, we put a lot of work into it. We try to have some fun. Uh, so please tell some people and we can continue growing this thing. If you've got a lot of friends, um, like Nick Ashew, then ten, tell 10 people. If you're like Todd Divis, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe you can tell your cat or something. <laughs> Jeez, are you taking swings at Todd right away? <laughs> right out of the gate. Good Lord. She doesn't, she doesn't listen, so it's really irrelevant anyways. So <laughs> Chase, do your cats listen? No, I have one cat. All right. Oh, are you sure? Because I last Three, time I checked, I think Todd and I found out you had I, like five. You just didn't tell us about it. You're and a cat person. no, she could All not. She could not care less about anything uh, that I ever say, including Which, one time where I tried to tell her, "Don't mess with the vase of water." And she kept going after it, knocked it over, and spilled like a gallon and a half of water on our hardwood floors. This is this is shocking. You're telling me a cat didn't listen to what you told us to do. I've never heard of a cat. <laughs> Still ever great companions, though. <laughs> uh, so yeah look the Nats are coming out of it's, it's funny we've kind of dubbed this like all-star break for them because it, you just get the whole schedule has just been weird for baseball this year when you have all these positive tests and it started with the Marlins where all of a sudden games are postponed teams have to find other ways to kind of fill the time while they're waiting let's just kind of look back on what we've had so far in the first few games with the Nats it's obviously an incredibly small sample size Todd but that being said we still have some trends early on, some that were good and some that were certainly alarming with them too. Yeah, we're back into that space, the quote-unquote little things, um, which is uh, like code for crappy baseball. 
um, <laughs> which was what was happening at Nationals Park. They, they weren't playing good defense. They weren't running the base as well. And obviously they had uh, some, some missing pieces too. But things looked better during the, again, quote unquote, road series against Toronto. And <laughs> they won two games before this uh, all-star break hit them a week into the season. Uh, by having the whole weekend off, and they needed some time off, guys. Right? Yeah, Davy Martinez wasn't they had a break <laughs> with the stoppage. Um, so, you know, they started to get their act together, and they looked a little better. And but someone, I think it was Monday, tweeted the NL East division standings after ten games, and like half the teams in the division had not played ten games. <laughs> so. <laughs> Some had, some hadn't, some were in between, some were close. It, it, so uh, the ongoing scheduling problems of the season are, ha, have become a thing that, you know, started last week and then made it into the start of this week as, as the Cardinals are still in flux and um, everything remains weird. I wonder how many new rule changes we'll have this week, guys. Maybe they can come up with another terrible rule that makes Nick delighted. Yes, give us a runner on second and third starting the 11th inning, Todd. That's my suggestion. Yeah, well, I mean, why not? You have to do cartwheels between second and third once it gets to the 12th inning uh, because, you know. I am, I'm in on this, too. And how about this? If it goes to the 13th inning, you got to kick a field goal. It's a field goal competition. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, different sport. How about a shootout? <laughs> Chase, there's nothing that makes Todd more angry than rule changing. This has, like, become my new favorite thing is to just poke the bear with him. We'll save it for the actual debate. That's a oh, good well, don't worry. We'll get into it. Yeah. Yeah, later in the pod, we'll get into it. Yeah. So it's been a weird few days for those of us at the park, uh, for sure. Um, Chase, what's it like watching on, on the television set when you see all this going on? Well, uh, you know, I think it's been mostly positive despite the record. Uh, you know, I, I think you guys know where I'm going to start with this, and that is uh, – Carter Keebooms looked pretty good, right? I knew that was coming. I think I'm, he's been objectively impressive. I don't think I'm being biased here. Um, he does, if I could sum it up in a nutshell, I think he doesn't look like a rookie at the plate. We've seen him work counts, uh, come back from down 0-2. Uh, he's shown patience and consistency. He has, you know, a six straight plate appearance um, streak of getting on base. I think that's been really nice to see. Obviously, the defense, uh, there's been some moments. But I think it goes back to me, uh, the, the fact that the, the Nationals bat a super high average with position player prospects. Set aside what they've done with some pitchers, but Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon, Juan Soto, Victor Robles, Trey Turner, Michael A. Taylor is like, relatively speaking, um, the one exception because he didn't live up to the sky high expectations where he came out of the minors hitting for average and power. But he's still good, and he, he helped them win a World Series. So I think Carter Keeboom is just following that track. Starlin Castro's also looked really good to me. Uh, I think he might be having, and I've said this before, one of those Yunel Escobar seasons where the Nationals just bet on him at the perfect time for a late career surge. You know, not to the same extreme, but we saw the same thing with Daniel Murphy. Uh, the Nationals are very good at sort of projecting when a guy is about to peak. And then well, I think- Well, a little pushback there. A little pushback. They, they didn't want Daniel Murphy. They ended up with Daniel Murphy and he went crazy. 
So, right, but there there was the launch angle thing. Details, where, details, Todd. Come on now. It's it's revisionist yeah, history here. It's fine. Get, it was the, like, at least two other dudes before Daniel Murphy. And <laughs> like, oh, we got Daniel Murphy. It was the plan all along. That was just they were pulling the cloak over everybody's eyes with that. Don't you worry. Don't don't change the narrative to the truth here. Come on. That is fair. But, you know, they, they saw the late uh, season power surge and how it uh, related to his launch angle as that kind of became a revolution in, in baseball. And all of a sudden it locked, unlocked power when he was like 29 years old and he became an MVP candidate. My last takeaway would be uh, Max Scherzer has looked really good to me and most importantly, healthy. And I think we all sort of, you know, I'm not speaking for everyone, but some people probably took for granted the fact that he would come back healthy this year. Um, remember how last season he basically dealt with an injury for the first time in his entire career. We all know how the season ended, him barely making a start in game seven. He didn't have surgery. So for him to come back at that age after that back injury and look healthy and pitching well, um, I think that's really important. Yeah, I, I'm with you on the Starlin Castro thing, too. It always feels like there's somebody within this organization. And whether it's the plan or not, Todd, they, they find <laughs> these guys that end up kind of becoming that diamond in the rough or there's a resurgence in their career. I mean, I even think of like Howie Kendrick is somebody that certainly kind of came on where he thought he almost his career was in jeopardy for a while. And he obviously became a hero for the Nationals last year. So there's always somebody there. And especially when you're in the situation the Nats are in where they're kind of moving guys around the infield and there was, you know, they had to have some plan B's at certain positions this year. And, and it's nice to see some of those, but I'll tell you this, I don't think anybody could be more excited than really the team knowing that Juan Soto is on his way back, that Strasburg threw a bullpen session. So these are two major names that you haven't had out there yet that are going to be somebody that now we're going to be with the team moving forward. And sitting at three and four, you wouldn't care if it was a 162-game schedule, but as we're recording this, they're three and four, and it's important to get these two big names back for them as soon as possible. Yeah, and the question is when Juan Soto will be back. Uh, they were kind of slow playing that over the weekend, but I would assume it's going to be as soon as possible, uh, <laughs> which would probably mean Tuesday night. And, oh, hey, the Mets are coming to town, and guess what? The Mets have a whole bunch of nonsense going on. <laughs> Which is just par for the course with the Mets. You know that, so that's expected. There's always the and Mets. I, and I, yeah, and it made me think back to, so we've gone over 19 and 31 a billion times, but I think what we often forget about the start of that four-game series last year, the Mets were a hot mess and were very much Metsing at the start of that, and that was the initial explanation for Cespedes's Say that three times. Fractured ankle was that he fell off a horse and got hurt. And that later became the wild boar incident. Um, <laughs> which is, that is, that is definitely one sentence. of the most, if not the most unique injury story that I've ever heard in sports. Yeah. What a phrase so, that Todd Divis just uttered. Yeah, the wild boar incident. And so at the start <laughs> of that series was Cespedes, was injured because of the horse situation. Mets GM Brody Van Wagen and had to go and explain that. And in the same press conference, he also had to say, Mickey Calloway is still our manager. So, <laughs> <laughs> the day to, uh, to start the series. Um, and then, of course, the Nationals blew it four times in that series uh, and then came home 1931. So fast forward to, you know, this week, we have another Cespedes story. But the Mets can't even get the Cespedes story straight. Brandon Nimmo said... He, he thinks, or according to what he knows, the organization knew that Cespedes wasn't coming to the park and wasn't going to play anymore. And Brody Van Wagen is saying, 
we didn't know. We didn't find out till the eighth inning during the game as opposed to before the game when we could not locate him and went to his hotel room and all his stuff was gone. So, um, so yeah, welcome to the Mets. Unfortunately, there will be no Mets fans in the stands doing their thing, which I always find entertaining, the, the seven-line crew. So, yeah, the Mets will be here coming up the next couple of days here in the middle of the week. I mean, it, the, the amazing part is, I mean, Cespedes just straight up said, peace, I'm out. Like, I'm done. That's it. I, I want nothing to do with this team. I don't want to play anymore. I will say this. I did predict on this podcast before the season started that we would see players during the season say, I'm done. You know, there's certainly different circumstances, but this is clearly another one where it's just like, nah, I'm out of here. I'm not doing this anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. And the Nationals wanted to sign Yoannis Cespedes uh, as a free agent. I saw some people pointing that out that, I mean, look at the dodge, the bullet they dodged. I mean, speaking of, you know, decisions they wanted to make and didn't want to make necessarily in free agency, um, they really got, uh, got away with uh, or got around what would have been a real difficult situation just if you take his contract in totality. Going back to Strasburg and Juan Soto, you know, the Nationals are kind of banged up right now. Uh, you know, beyond them, Will Harris, you know, Howie Kendrick, Eric Dames. I think that's like the one silver lining about this time off. Like, it's a few days. Obviously, they prefer to keep playing. It's been so much time. We've been, we've been waiting for baseball. And you're going to play the Marlins. You're probably going to collect a few wins. Uh, but let's be honest. I mean, injuries are magnified so much in the shortened season. And I think the Nationals having a little bit of extra time to get – Juan Soto back from his ordeal, Steven Strasburg, Kendrick, all these guys that I mentioned, that could be a silver lining, right? Listen, I'll take any silver liner we can get. I, I'm for that. It's, uh, here's an, uh, another silver lining I just thought of, Chase, and I know you'll certainly appreciate this. Listening to Mets fans yell and scream up in New York about Yohannes Cespedes. Like, that is something that is <laughs> one of the funniest things ever. They are so angry with this guy up there. But it, you're right. When we say this, that dodging a bullet, yeah, that, that, they did want him. I, I remember – that whole situation when everybody looked at that bat and said, Ooh, this guy would be great in a Nats uniform. And thankfully that's not the case. I'm just glad too. We're actually going to see the Nats back out on the field playing a real game because they have on these simulated games and they were supposed to be playing the Marlins. And then of course that didn't happen because half their team tested positive for COVID because they all decided that's to go out and party. Anyway. What's that? That's essentially a simulated game anyway. Well, that's, this is true. <laughs> at this point, it's definitely going to be a simulated game. I wish I'd heard that the first time because that was actually a pretty good zing. And it's, it's my fault that it, the audio didn't come through clearly. I blame Zoom for that. Uh, I, I, I want to say this is – I don't know whether this is a good or bad thing because, like, we haven't really seen how teams are going to be affected by this on-again, off-again schedule that apparently is going to be part of baseball this year. I certainly want to look at it – and say it is good for them because they can work on things after having a few real games and say, all right, let's tweak this. Let's do that. But uh, you know, baseball is a game of repetition and it's a game of longevity and it's already going to be a short season. So for them now to have time off on top of that, playing fake games and then go back to real games again, I just I feel like it might take some guys out of their rhythm. I, I hope I'm wrong, but th this has just been one of those seasons already where we knew it's going to be awkward. I think it's both. And it depends on who you are. Uh, Tanner Rainey, five appearances in seven days. He needed a timeout. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, he was already going down that, you know, wander swero path uh, to where, like – You don't utter phone, that name anymore. Stop it. <laughs> if, if, if any phone within 10 feet of him rang, no matter where he was on the planet, he would, like, get the jitters and then go warm up because he just heard <laughs> a phone ring. All right, that means I got to get loose. And so, Panarini <laughs> needed a break and received the break. Steven Strasburg needed some time to get going. Um, he received that. Juan Soto needed time to take at bats and get in the field and 
uh, Saturday, all he did was hit and then run the bases. And then Sunday, they played the six innings in the simulated game, and he was in left field the entire time. Both, both halves of the quote-unquote innings uh, never came off. So uh, he was able to bank all that as opposed to missing, you know, a game. We'll see if those games are ever made up. Probably not. But those guys all, all needed the break. But the, the people who didn't need the break were the, the other guys who were already playing and went through a short spring training 2.0 and, and had to get their act together really quickly to get back on the field. Surely those guys wanted to keep playing. Davey Martinez said he was pretty irritated that they, they stopped playing because of the schedule situation. So, you know, it's good and it's bad. Uh, obviously missing anything that benefits Strasburg and Juan Soto is going to help the team in the, in the long run. But in the short, short term, they felt like they were getting their act together, getting up to game speed and kind of feeling the adrenaline of the season. And then that just immediately stalled out again because of this. That and if you don't make up those games against the Marlins, then you don't get to play the Marlins for a few times. And, you know, we said it last year, Todd, you made this point over and over and over that the NL East sort of goes through Miami and not because they're the best team in the division. It's because they are by far the worst team in the division. You have to, you know, pack away your, your victories against them. You know, I, I forget the percentage of games of the schedule that they're playing against them, but it's a, a greater percentage than normal because you're only playing like, like what 10 teams because it's two divisions nine teams so if you don't get those games against the Marlins I think that puts you at a disadvantage now again if you I guess the caveat here would be if you do look at the NLE standings the Marlins are technically in second place because they're two stop and it one. stop it stop it Chase <laughs> no we're not going to play that game it's like Orioles fans right now bragging about their record stop it it's going to even itself out the Marlins just might not play another game ever again it feels like in any way would anyone notice? Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I saw the smirk on your face. I was like, he's got something. Here it comes. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is, look, this is just the weird situation that we're going to be in for this entire season. And I, look, I think like I'm, I echo everybody in this. I, I hope the season goes through and it gets better and, and, and it doesn't continue to be this complicated, but it's hard. I mean, we watch, you know, we talk about Juan Soto coming back. We look at his situation where there's a negative or, you know, there's a positive test and then like, 10 straight negatives and it's like well you still can't come back and there's all these different loopholes and, and this red tape you have to go through to bring, bring players back and uh, I, I, I have trouble blaming Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred too much for this because of the unique and difficult situation that it's in right like this just hasn't existed before but they've got to now learn from the mistakes that have already gone on so far to start off the season and get better and use those as examples to quickly make the system that you have better. It's not going to be perfect because you don't have a bubble, but they've got to do something to allow players that go through. If you go through like 10 negative tests, I think at some point we realize you should be able to get a player back faster than that. I mean, Todd, the NBA even just decided that they're going to sort of change their, they're going to change some of their testing protocols a little bit to allow players to come back sooner too in, in certain situations. So it, it does exist. We're allowed to modify things that are going on because we're learning from the situations that we're going through that's completely fluid right now. Yeah, I think there's a couple ways to look at that. One, there's going to be modifications because things are fluid. You're right. Two, I think Major League Baseball in particular has done a terrible job of making sure its protocol information is widely understood by both reporters and fans. Uh, you can, if you get 10 negative tests and none of the tests are MLB issued tests, then it doesn't matter. <laughs> that's it 
like, so what? You took a bunch of tests, congratulations, go tell your friends. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're getting back on the field any faster. You have to have two negative tests more than 24 hours apart processed by MLB labs in order to start to get to back, get back on the field. And then there are several other layers after that. So we've run into situations where reporters are tweeting things without context um, and making people think that Juan Soto was back when he was not back um, because he had not satisfied every layer of the protocol situation. MLB's protocols were always more relaxed than the city of Washington's were from the start. And so, you know, and even some of the CDC guidelines, the MLB protocols were more lax than those. So <laughs> look, it, it's, you're, you're right that everything is fluid. Um, I, you know, we're going to be talking to Carl Ravish from ESPN and he tweeted <laughs> a comment from Rob Manfred about, and part of the comment was Rob Manfred saying, I'm not a quitter, never have been. Well, that has nothing to do with anything. Right. That was such a <laughs> stupid quote. It's just dumb. It has nothing to do with anything. Whether you, what your personal disposition is, it's how are you adapting to the evolving circumstances that are happening in the league that you are in charge of? That's all that matters. And when are you going to stop? When should you stop? When should you keep going? Right? That Those are determinations you have to make via a pragmatic process and the information in front of you, not some personal philosophical thing that you just throw out there as a general ideal that has nothing to do with anything. So I think in, in that space, fans, you know, are irritated uh, from time to time. I certainly think Rob Manfred has gone from a space. He's kind of gone from closer to silver world down to Goodell Bettman status. Maybe not, <laughs> he's not, maybe it's not full Bettman where he's universally booed no matter where, what he does. Never he goes and gets the mail. Yeah, gets the mail and his neighbors are booing him. Um, so, but he's taking his lumps here. That's for sure. But it is a tough situation, as he said, Nick. And, and you know, I, I, I will say this, though. I just, I, I, I'm also not a quitter, but I was never allowed to play professional sports. It stopped and it was forced to stop that. So <laughs> keep that in mind. Just because you're not a quitter doesn't mean that you actually get to do everything you want to do in life. It just doesn't always work out that way. That is true. And, you know, I feel bad for Juan Soto we've heard his comments about how he feels like he followed all the protocols correctly and he had to go through this whole situation and I think for the Nationals it's really just a bit unlucky for the team like obviously I think they deserve credit and the league deserves some sort of credit for practicing extra caution as opposed to the alternative you know we've seen all the outbreaks since like this in comparison is kind of a blip on the radar because of what has happened to teams like the Marlins and the Cardinals uh, and the Phillies, but in terms of just general luck, I mean, what are the odds that Juan Soto, of all players, gets a false positive just hours before opening night? Like Juan Soto, like not like, you know, the, the 22nd guy on the team who's like a bench player who, you know, might get in at bat uh, is a pinch hitter in the ninth inning. Juan Soto, and he feels like he did everything right. It's, it's really amazing if you think about it, and uh, some of the games have been taken away because of what the Marlins did, but you know, it's costly in a baseball sense. Personally, Chase, I think it's a setup. I'll put my tinfoil on my head and say somebody <laughs> clearly planted that positive test because they're out to get Juan Soto. They don't like what he's becoming as a player. It's all a conspiracy theory. Uh, you know what else is, uh, is coming up in less than a month? I know this is something Todd is a big fan of the trade deadline. 
Mm-hmm. We're already going to be talking trade deadline in what? So today we're taping this on the 4th, the 31st. It's 27 days from now. It just – I know it was weird when we first saw it come out and it almost seemed like it was worthless to have one. But I guess you have to put one in on a season and we're looking at August now and then the end of August and then it's – all right, evaluate if you want to make trades. I imagine that being incredibly complicated to do, but it is something that's now going to be a discussion this month is do the Nationals have to fill a spot? Do they need to add another relief pitcher? Do they need to add another infielder? I don't know, whatever. Like the type of conversations we have every year that are months into a season are now going to be a few games in and we're already looking at, hey, trade trade deadline comes up in less than a month. Weird. Yeah, I, I think the biggest question is going to be length of control, right? Because why, why would you make a move in this season? Why would you give up prospects for something that only gets you through this year? That doesn't make much sense on, uh, on any level. So I think those kind of trades are gone. But if you end up having team control of, of someone for the remainder of this shenanigans season, and then what should be, or hopefully will be a full season next year, then you can kind of find some value there, but still I, I don't anticipate much happening at, at the trade deadline in general. I think you're right. There had to be one just for, you know, just to say they have it and have the possibility, but I can't imagine anyone's going to be too, too active there. And we're certainly not going to see gigantic moves at the time. It's, it's pretty amazing. We think about it. like in a normal season, you're fewer than four weeks out it would be a huge topic of discussion. Everyone would be looking at, okay, who are going to be the big free agents this offseason that aren't on contending teams that could maybe push a team over the top and make them true World Series favorites. Um, and I'm sure Mike Rizzo and his, his team in the front office are thinking a lot about it right now, um, doing their due diligence probably on relief pitchers as they always do. They always pick up a few midseason. This isn't a normal season, but usually they do. We saw last year with uh, Rowan S. Elias and, of course, Daniel Hudson, who was a pretty good pickup, I would say. But, and they could use re- more relievers now. Um, but what's so fascinating to me is the lack of data to go off of, especially if you're trying to evaluate relief pitchers. Like, how do you evaluate your internal options and also external options? Like, with such a small sample size, how do you come up with a proper evaluation of what these guys are, are this season? Because we know that, like, a single season – is really the only thing in, in a lot of cases that you can evaluate a relief pitcher on. Like things are so fleeting for them in terms of success. Just because they were good last year doesn't mean they're, they're good this year. And, you know, how many appearances are they going to have under their belt before you have to pull the trigger? It's pretty amazing to me. Yeah, it, it, that's the thing. It's, it's going to be downright impossible for you to truly evaluate what you have and then make a decision. Like I, I would – look, here's my prediction. I, I just think we see very little activity at the trade deadline. Or around that time even. I think most teams are going to look at this and say, like you said, Todd, like, are you going to give up prospects for a player that you rent for a few weeks that just, if that's the case, like that doesn't make any sense. I, I just, I think we'll see it. It'll exist, but it won't be utilized the way it's been in the past. Yeah. And I, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to utilize it the way uh, that you have in the past. It just doesn't like yeah. Like, in, especially now, maybe at the start of the season when everyone was so adamant that there would be no asterisk about who wins. Well, this is pretty much a fiasco yeah. <laughs> to, to this point. Um, so it, it, are things going to just run, suddenly run perfectly the remaining nine weeks? And then we'll be like, see, we got it together and everybody played and it was fine and no more positive tests. And 
no more going to the casino or the club or whatever on the road. And uh, so we're going to have Magic a pretty City. Hey, look, unless you're going to get wings, it's the only way you can do that. You get away with it if yeah. it's Magic City Wings. I think we've learned that. <laughs> what a name for that place, too, Magic I know. City. Um, I've, ne I've never wanted wings from one place more in my life now than Magic City Wings because of everything that's gone on, to be honest with you. Yeah. So, I, I mean, so I think kind of the bumbling start to the season further drives down this idea about how authentic the actual season is. And, and we'll see how much of this they can straighten out in, in the coming weeks or two. And, and just beyond that, the uncertainty of whether the season will finish. I mean, I think, I think it's a little bit less certain than it was a few weeks ago. So, um, you know, are you going to get, are you going to pay a big price for a player when you don't know if uh, what, what things are going to look like a month from now? Um, I, I find it all really interesting. And, and I, I agree. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of activity. It's a valid question about how this is going to finish up. And, and that's a valid question that we can ask ESPN's Carl Ravitch, who's going to join us next on the National Stock Podcast. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. And ESPN will televise an MLB triple header today starting at 2 p.m. We're taping this with the Twins against the Pirates, followed by, of course, the World Series champion Nationals hosting the Mets at 7. The nightcap at 10 features the Angels and the Mariners. We welcome in ESPN's Carl Ravage. And, and, and let's just get right to it. It's been a roller coaster, Carl, since baseball has started back up uh you've certainly had some strong comments on the negotiations when we're trying to get baseball back uh, where are you right now in terms of the way you've seen things and how they've started well i think uh fits and starts which i think was to be expected i think baseball and the players put themselves in a position to deal with positive tests um i think they're surprised by the the outbreaks the two bigger outbreaks that we've had but they knew there were going to be positives and the question was going to be could you contain them? And then moving forward, how flexible can you be with the schedule? So the, the idea that the season, according to some uh, Sunday, was in jeopardy on Monday didn't feel like news to me. The season, this season's constantly in jeopardy given the virus and, and how quickly it spreads. But I, I think that the protocols, when aptly applied, uh, will allow you to stay on the field. I spoke to a, a, a prominent National League manager yesterday uh, and asked him, are we in a position where if your team uh, and your organization listens, do you think we're going to be able to keep playing? He said, 100%. He said, the biggest thing that uh, our players have to do is look in the mirror. You know, you're not only responsible for yourself, you're responsible for your teammates, and ultimately you're responsible for the sport, as we've seen. One team is sick, the other team can't play it, and then if you've played that team – uh, they, too, have to be sidelined, which means you've really wiped out three other teams along with yourself. And in a 60-game season, you know, games are at a premium. You, you can't afford to continue to miss them. Yeah, it's always been the extrapolation, right? Like, that's, yeah. that's the concern here of, of how this is going to be handled. And one of the questions hanging over all this is an extremely subjective one. And I'm curious what your view would be. What do you think the threshold is to actually stop this season? Uh, what 
what would have to happen for the commissioner who holds that power from the March 26th agreement to decide this has gotten out of our hands and we right. need to discontinue what we're doing? Uh, look, you, you, you hate to, and I'm not, but you certainly hate to look at the severity of the case. If somebody gets uh, deathly ill, uh, would that be enough to, hey, hold on a second. We're, we're not just dealing with guys that are either asymptomatic or have cold-like symptoms. We're, we're, we've seen, you know, one or two guys end up in a hospital and, and God forbid, even worse. I, I would imagine, I would hope that that would give pause to it. Clearly, anytime that you have multiple teams with multiple outbreaks, meaning we can't have three or four teams who are down because, as we just talked about, this ripple effect, meaning you've got four teams down, that's eight teams, and if those four had already played four other ones, you, you get 12 of the 30 teams that, that are impacted. So, uh, look, I think, I think the thresholds are competitive integrity for one organization. If you lose seven or eight star players and you're not fielding a team that's representative, well, that's a reason to at least uh, for that team shut it down for a while. I think, I think the watchword in all this, again, is flexibility. The idea that every team is playing 60 games, I think within the first two weeks, we realize that's not going to be the case. Um, you're going to have some teams that play less than that. We'll be lucky if all of them play or, or any of them play 60 games. So I'm not certain that there is a particular, if you would, line in the sand where the commissioner is going to say, hold on. But I think there are variables which would absolutely make him say we got we got to pause the game. You mentioned flexibility and, you know, people are looking at what the NHL and the NBA are doing and talking about bubble. And that's certainly been successful. But it's clearly a different situation for the NBA and the NHL, given that they're close to the tail end of their season going into playoffs. Is it possible, would it be possible for baseball to ever pivot and try to do something like that at some point this season? Might be in the postseason. You know, it's, the, the, more that you, the more that you get exposed to this season, the, the more you think about other ways that uh, the sport could have gone about playing a season. And I understand wholeheartedly there's a business side of this, which means there are 30 different owners and 30 different organizations and all want to play as many games as they can and benefit from the local television revenue and the, you know, in-stadium advertising. But it did strike me yesterday when we were dealing with all this. As you get into game 30 and 40, there are going to be teams that are, you know, 8, 10, 12 games out what would prevent the player, uh, other than a professional obligation, what would prevent the player from opting out then? Like, we're, 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 we're out of this race. We, we can't, we are mathematically eliminated. So what's going to continue our motivation to stay in this, other than a professional obligation to your union, to your league, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things that, that occurred to me when I was talking with Buster Only on his podcast, you, you could have, if you wanted to, make this season – and we're not doing it now, but you could have gone into this season with almost a survivor mentality with after 20 games, teams that are X games out are eliminated. You know, you're off the island so that you are always having teams that are motivated to play. And you slowly take from the 30 down to 24, down to 20, down to 16. That didn't happen, but that, that would be one way to do it. To answer your question in a shorter way, yes, you could absolutely have the postseason played in bubbles, whether it's New York City, whether it's a particular area in California, um, or, and it doesn't, I'm not, Florida, whatever state you want to choose, you could bubble the concept with playoff teams, especially if the season does happen to be forced to be extended and you're looking at Northeast cities 
uh, in November with cold, flu, and bad weather season. Yeah, uh, when I talked to Max Scherzer in, in late March, he was already talking about the possibility of a postseason bubble. So I think sure. that's something that would run quicker through the players um, and everyone might be on board with. So we're, we're talking about a lot of complications and, and things that haven't gone right and things that aren't going great and questions about the future. So let's try to talk about some things that maybe we like so far uh, of, of having baseball back for a week. Um, and what would those things be for you, whether it's just the physical game is, is being played somewhere, uh, that we're seeing some young guys, that you like a new rule? What have you enjoyed of this uh, very chaotic ride thus far? Yeah, I, look, I, I've, I've enjoyed all of it. And I'm one of the, I've been doing this for, for 28 years at ESPN. It's like, it's like when you do a broadcast um, and you've been doing these shows and baseball tonight for 24 years, I'll be honest with you, when there are technical challenges within the program, that kind of gives me a rush as opposed to everything went smoothly and you had a good show. So <laughs> the idea that there are, there are fits and starts in this and you have to be adaptable and flexible you know, I, I don't want anybody to get sick ever, but the fact is this virus is so contagious, there's a real likelihood. Okay, let, let's see how you deal with it. So I, I appreciate the flexibility. And then on the field, there's, look, there's a lot of directions to go in. If you want to talk organizations, I love the youth of the White Sox. I love the enthusiasm they play with. I think the Padres have put together a really good team. Those are two teams that, that haven't been mentioned. Clearly the Yankees and Aaron Judge are a fabulous story hoping Strasburg comes back and how the Nationals are going to now, after playing so few games, get Soto back and see where they go from here and how good they really are. You know, the Red Sox are not good. The teams like David Ross is leading. The Cubs are off to a great start. The, uh, the, all of it is great for me. I mean, I, I really I enjoy just the game. I enjoy seeing the guys back on the field. I enjoy seeing some of the strategies and extra innings and the reluctance to bunt a guy over to third base when – I'm not even convinced that the numbers, even if they are accurate, feel accurate. It feels like when I get a runner on third with one out, I get a real good chance of getting the ball in the air, considering everyone hits the ball in the air and getting them home. But Major League Baseball teams don't seem to be following that. So, this, look, there's a million ways to do it. We had a 90-minute baseball tonight. We, we could have gone three hours, given all the stuff that's going on on the field. Yeah, it's funny too, Carl, because there's there's certainly a lot of optimism around baseball for certain fan bases where they think, all right, shorter season, maybe this is an opportunity for our team to just kind of go on one of those magical Cinderella runs, right? Because right. Or it's a lot, you know, more teams can get in the playoffs. In our area, we have the Nationals, but there's also a lot of Orioles fans that are looking right. at the team right now, sitting behind the Yankees going, maybe this could be a year we surprise people. Look, I know I came into this thinking they were going to be lucky not to have the worst record in baseball. Could you see the Orioles going on some sort of Cinderella run where they just bare minimum get into the postseason, given the expanded playoffs and where they sit. I, mean, I, I, th I don't think the Orioles can over the course of 60 games. I do think over the course of uh, 10, maybe 20, be, you know, be in it. But a lot of times during a baseball season, and, and you know with the Nats the other way, a lot of times, you know, the first couple of weeks out of the gate, uh, you're surprised by it. Similarly out West, and I don't mean to dismiss the Orioles, but like the Rockies are off to a really good start. To me, the Rockies have better players than the Orioles do. And the Rockies are a team that if they can pitch the way they did on the road and avoid injuries, can be one of those teams that look at the division and say, my gosh, we got the Dodgers. Uh, we have the Padres who are a lot better. Um, we were good, you know, the last couple of years, good enough. And now we're off to a really good start. So, so why not us? And, 
yeah, look, I'm, I'm all in favor of all of these experiments. To me, th this was always going to be uh, for, for better more than for worse, but for better or worse, the most memorable baseball season that I've ever experienced. And I think a lot of the baseball fans at home for a million reasons, we'll look at it that way as well, especially if your team is in it. And if you're rooting for the Orioles, what, what you think would be a throwaway year, at least for the first month, you're not throwing anything away. Colorado, similar situation. White Sox, similar situation. Cubs had questions. What are we going to be? Are we going to be last year's team or closer to the World Series team? And you know, they're off to a really good start with a new manager and players playing to the level that they should be playing. So, you know, I, I don't think the Orioles have the staying power in that division and playing against the two divisions that they have to do, the AL East and the NL East. But a team like the Rockies is addressing what you're talking about with Cinderella. We talk about sample size all the time, or yeah. hopefully the people covering the sport talk about sample size all the time. Right. Um, and, but and I was asking David Martinez this the other day, it's a 60-game season, so it's a small sample size just by nature um, this year. So what to you is a legitimate amount of information to actually perform informed analysis about uh, when we're in this situation and obviously always concerned about being misled by a small sample size? Agreed. I mean, the, the, the triple S is, is, always, um, is always part of the conversation when you deal with analytics and sabermetrics and... Um, whether this is going to continue or not. And clearly we've only had a small sample size, but in a 60 game season, at what point do you move from small sample size to able to draw to some degree conclusions uh, that you believe will hold true? I, I would think that that would probably happen after a third of the season, 20 games. I mean, usually it's Memorial day, uh, but look, I remember being at the all-star game uh, when Someone said, all right, give me a list of teams last year who you think can still compete. And the Nationals were the first team I mentioned, and it was for a Washington television station um, because they had the talent. Again, if you look at the teams this season, the ones that have the talent, uh, the ones that have um, health, the ones that have better bullpens, to me, are the ones that are going to survive. I mean, th there are clearly, even in a short sample size of 10, 11, 12 games, um, trends that are being borne out. Starters are not going very long. Managers are going to their bullpens quicker. Uh, in the case of like the New York Mets, who seem to have the offensive talent to compete with everybody, their bullpen is a disaster. You know, Hughes came in last night and pitched two innings, and you're like, well, he should be closing games for us. We, we don't have anybody to close games. Um, will you find those individuals? Yeah. Will, will he be able to be that guy over the course of 60 games? Not likely because he hasn't throughout his career. So I think the small sample size stuff is adequate to apply, but I also think it's this may be the year in which you use your, you know, your scout and eye test. The, the, the Yankees are great. The Dodgers are great. The Cubs are really good. You know, the Astros are going to be okay, but their bullpen's weak. They're, they're not on the same level as the Yankees are. Um, so, I, I, you know, I don't know if it answers your question, but in a lot of ways, small sample size allows the eye test to maybe be be more important than the analytics and sabermetrics because everything is different this year you know everything you're, you're pitching to three guys at a minimum uh you're you're going extra innings with a runner on second but we don't even have any database to compare well small sample size with a runner on second because we've never done it before at least not at the major league level so uh, to me you go back to what you know which are 
the teams that have have been good recently, with the exception of like the Red Sox, have no starting pitching. They're not going to be competitive. The Rays are really good, have a decent bullpen. Charlie Morton hasn't started to to pitch yet. There are a number of guys too, and you know this, who haven't hit. I mean, superstar players: Bellinger, Yelich, Olson, Chapman out west. They haven't hit at all, and their teams are doing okay. So. That, that's where, to me, the, the small sample size probably actually errors on the side of negative than it does positive. Because eventually, the good players are going to do what good players do, I think. You mentioned the runner on second rule. Todd and I vehemently disagree on this rule. Where do you stand on just the overall strategy and, and having something very different now in the 10th inning of a baseball game? Yeah, look, I, you know, if, we, if, if Major League Baseball wanted to do um, – this and, and almost satisfy everybody, you, you, could, you could then change the way that you, um, use the, you do the standings. You could say, look, you get a point for a tie and you get two points for a win, meaning if you're tied 3-3 after nine innings, both teams get one point in the standings and the winner after extra innings are played, they get the extra point. So, so you're not alienating those who think it's an unfair way to decide a game. Uh, you're allowing your team credit for being tied after nine innings. Uh, I'm not one of those, but I can understand where people would argue that. Uh, again, you're, you're talking to a guy who loves the game and is probably so far left of being the purist when it comes to these things. Um, I, I'm all in favor, like college football did, like the NFL did. Uh, I, I've sat through enough. Tim Kirchner and I had this conversation. Ravi, Ravi, we're missing some of the greatest games ever if we're not going to play 18, 19, or 20. And I said, Tim, I've done this for 23 years, not nearly as long as you have. I've seen some absolutely awful 17, 18, and 19 <laughs> games. More of them than great ones. I apologize. but um, So I'm all in favor of getting action going, getting runners. And by the way, runner on second hardly means the game ends in 10 innings. We're going to run into a 14-inning game a 15-inning game, and you'll always potentially have a, a winning run on or a, or a go-ahead run on. Like, that's, that's better for me than watching innings 12, 13, 14, 15 go 1, 2, 3, and nobody get on. So I, I, I like it. I don't know which one of you two are in favor of it. I can oh. tell by your smile it's you, but I, I'm all in on it. <laughs> I'm all in on it. So I want you to listen, Todd, because that is exactly the reason why it's a great rule. <laughs> yeah, we, we could spend another 30 minutes talking about this. Well, basically, my baseline for this is the whole game is predicated on not giving people 90 feet, preventing someone from going 90 feet, and then you're giving them 120 feet after they play nine innings of prevention. So I, I, I think it's all fair. Uh, it's okay for Nick to be wrong. We're also okay with that. It's not a big deal. Um, one thing we have here that we have a bunch of local perspective on, so I'm curious what the national perspective is. We have two people who run this organization who have been very successful in lame duck seasons. Davey Martinez has an option that is yet to be picked up. Mike Rizzo's contract is about to be up. Obviously, those are two much more – Rizzo's com complicated. Davey seems uncomplicated. And we almost felt like the Astros were trolling the Nationals recently by picking up Dusty's option before Davey Martinez – gets his option picked up after winning the World Series. What, what do you make of these two guys still being in limbo here in August? Yeah, uh, look, uh, 
I mean, I mean, for years, Rizzo has been one of the the best at um, at winning trades, at identifying free agents. Uh, he's been pretty good at drafting, and his staff have done a really good job. And you just won a World Series, so th there have been a number of managers. I remember when the Phillies uh, were playing in World Series, and the there were some Philly fans who were like, "Oh my God, we won, and now we got to keep Charlie Manuel around." Um, and I'm not sure if that's how some people think about David Martinez. Point is, you won a World Series. To me, when you win championships, uh, that that warrants extensions. There are things about the dynamic that work. Um, whether it's Davey's ability to relate to the players, uh, whether like Jack McKeon, who was accused of having a, a horseshoe uh, hidden somewhere in his body, there there are a variety of guys who have managed to have success when you have a lot of critics about the way that they go about doing their business. But Rizzo's given this team. Uh, ample opportunity to win they're generally competitive and have been he, he, he knows pitching I, I yeah I, I think if I if I were them I'd be kind of a, I would be upset like wait a minute I, I just won a world series what, what are we waiting for but you know on the other hand we live in a what have you done for me lately like yesterday world and there are a lot of guys out there I mean think of the two that think of the three that just lost their jobs because of a cheating scandal don't tell me that AJ Hinch and Alex Cora and to some extent Carlos Belter are not going to get jobs. I mean, they're going they're going to get jobs. That's the way this industry works. We forgive. Sometimes we don't forget, but we forgive. They're going to get jobs. I, I'd hire both Hinch and Cora in a heartbeat. So that that that's sort of the elephant in the room for guys like Davey, et cetera. I was a little surprised that Dusty got an extension. I mean, that 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 just didn't feel like that was something that they needed to do now. Uh, maybe he's made such an impression in the clubhouse and if you know Dusty and I know you do he is an impressionable guy he'll he'll make an impression positive negative or otherwise he will make an impression so maybe he's done that in Houston so Carl one thing you do that I do love is that you uh you will go after Twitter trolls I think some of these dummies out there and the things they say on Twitter it, like it does get exhausting after a while I'm sure it's got to be exhausting for you are there times where you just see some things people say to you and, and your head just explodes uh, I'll be honest with you, and I, have, you know, because of the pandemic, we, we have uh, my wife and I between us have five boys living in the house, and all of them, uh, four of them are living here. All of them are over the age of twenty, so they kind of they kind of get the whole universe of Twitter, and they understand. And I, like I, to me, you know, I, I hope that not many millions see this, but I, I look at this stuff as uh, I, I, tr I troll right back. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not affected by it, impacted by it after you know, 28 years at ESPN and listening to this stuff. Uh, uh, to me, it's it's more about how I have fun with it. I really do. I, I tend to err on the side of kill him, kill him with kindness, which I'm sure drives them crazy. You know, the, the thanks for listening. Really appreciate the feedback. Uh, occasionally, I think there was one that, that kind of accused me of being a doom and gloom guy. And that just to me shows you, you're either confusing me with somebody else or you haven't been, been watching or listening because I'm the I'm the opposite of doom and gloom when it comes to this whole pandemic. I'm like, let's let's play through it. We'll figure this out. Both sides got to try harder. Uh, there are protocols, accountability. The players will tell you every time a new rule is introduced, um, you can't throw at a guy's head. You, you can't come off the bench. You can't argue. We police ourselves. Well, <laughs> there is no greater time for the players to police themselves than in the middle of a pandemic. So hold your buddies accountable, make sure they're doing what they should be doing, and don't worry about what Major League Baseball or your organization is doing. 
do it yourself. You always want to police yourselves. Here's your chance. Make sure that that guy and that guy and that group isn't going out at night and they're all staying in the hotel. Great stuff, Carl. Really appreciate it. Uh, this weekend on E60, Buster only tells the story of how Pete Alonso channeled the bullying he faced growing up to the ball field to become Rookie of the Year. Catch the special this Sunday, 5 p.m. on ESPN. Carl, great stuff, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on with us. My pleasure, always. And thanks again to ESPN's Carl Ravitch. I'm going through this, this text chain, that you, that guys, that we have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Chase reminded me of this before the podcast. This is how I know that Todd and I just will go at each other and then forget that things happened. I get a text from Todd last week that just says, hey, Nick, this rule sucks. Thanks. I love the, sec- the runner on second base in the 10th inning. I love it more, and I'm going to continue <laughs> to love it. And I understand that I'm going to be in the minority on this, but I don't care. I like the rule changes. But the best part is, is after that, it's just like a Joker gif, and then I've got the Grinch because Todd's the Grinch, and then a Joker and the Grinch. And then we get into an argument about whether the Grinch or the Joker could beat the other one up, which I think is something we should get to. <laughs> Maybe that's going to be how we wrap this podcast up. I still love it, guys. I'm not going to change. I think it's fun. And, and at this, if there's any year to try something new, this is the year in baseball to try some new things. Nick, you still have that uh, text from me up, what, that initial text? Yes, I do. Which, which one would you like, uh, would you can, like me to can read? Can you read it again, that, that first one that you mentioned? Uh, well, the one where you just said, uh, hey, Nick, this rule sucks. Thanks. Correct. Uh, so, <laughs> so you're saying your opinion hasn't changed at all. Yeah, I mean, if you want to read that five or ten more times. Um, uh, let me just read it again to emphasize. Sure. Um, this rule sucks. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's just, just making sure we get that emphasized there. But I thank you as a courteous human and, and, and <laughs> your friend. You were very uh, polite. Thank you for your time uh, for, for reading. Uh, uh, I'm not going to thank you for your totally incorrect take, but, you know, we'll just have to, li- we'll just have to live with it. Yeah, this rule uh, remains a bunch of nonsense. Uh, no one in baseball – likes it few people outside of baseball like it like nick and nobody else that i've ever met um i'll get people on the bandwagon soon enough so uh yeah giving away 120 feet after playing nine innings uh remains illogical and counterintuitive and against everything the game is kind of structured on but you know hey why not maybe they can do it in zubas you know, <laughs> let me. Zumbas are timeless. First off, so they should continue to wear Zumbas as much as they can to represent Buffalo. No, look, uh, it makes it adds for extra strategy. This gives you something that you have to change. You get to that tenth inning, and there's something extra you have to account for. It makes it more exciting. And by the way, hopefully, it prevents us from having fifteen and sixteen inning games with two teams that are. 10 games under 500 at some point. It's worthless. There, it, like, those long inning games with two teams that don't matter. I understand that that's a small portion of the overall percentage of these types of games, but so, we don't need to have games go that long. Yeah, I, I see it. I know it's tiny. I see what you're doing. It's a small percentage, but it prevents that. And all it does, it adds more excitement and it makes a fan more interested at, right away in the 10th inning. You know, somebody's already on that base. There's a chance they could score. It's good for baseball. Yeah, maybe if we're lucky, they'll bunt because of this rule and, and really get things hyped. Bunt, the old bunt sack fly party that everybody's like, man, <laughs> Listen, we need more of this. They got rid of pitchers hitting, and now you've got this. I'm loving this. So I'm going to be – I don't care if I'm in the minority on this and I'm the villain. I will be the villain. I love both of these things. I, I well, can see an argument for the pitcher hitting situation for sure, but not this rule. This, this, this is – so, like – I feel like I view this rule as 
Chase's cat views him, right? Like, I don't want to be bothered with it. It doesn't make any sense. Every time I think about it, it makes my head hurt. Um, so, my cat loves me, Todd. I think it sure doesn't insane. sound like it. As far as this, uh, first of all, with the text chain, uh, I think everyone's been there before where they haven't been looking at their phone and then they look at it and they realize two friends have been bickering back and forth. <laughs> you realize you have like 35 text messages. What's so strange about this is when I swoop in and see where it's at, I see all these gifts of the Joker from the Dark Knight and the Grinch. And I think you guys were like writing quotes in their voices. It, it got, it went down like a really dark path. Yeah, I got something here from Todd that says that the Joker would dismember the Grinch and then mail him to his mom. So it got really awkward really quick. And that's when I knew I had him. So I was just going to keep poking the bear at that point. Of course, then the Nats benefited from the rule. And I asked him if he still hates the rule. And he said, yes. And I said, Todd, be more fun. He just says, no. So that, this, that, that, that's where we are in this argument. Neither one of us is moving an inch from where we stood before. And I have a feeling it's probably going to stay that way, Chase. So I'm going to just point it out to you now. I apologize in advance. You're going to have to be the middleman for this argument throughout the entire season on all these text chains we have. <laughs> well, as, as far as the rule itself, I, I, I feel like they should start it in the 12th inning or something. Like, I don't see why you have to start it right away. Like, you could – you know, make it like the NHL where, you know, they have an overtime period and then it moves to a shootout. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's just so bizarre already, though. I do appreciate the weirdness because, like, baseball is already a very weird sport. But now we've seen things like a leadoff double play in a game. Uh, we saw another one where there was a walk-off with no official at-bats because there was, like, a bunch of sack flies. But it also does rob us of another thing that is like beautifully strange about baseball, and that is position players pitching. I feel like we're going to see far less of that because you don't get to like the 12th or 13th inning and you want to save your pitching staff so you, so you throw Clint Robinson out there against the Diamondbacks. Are we going to miss position players pitching? I am. Actually, I will agree. I will miss that. That's always a weird, fun novelty that baseball has. And if we have less of that this year, that'll – I will I will be on board with you on that. I'll miss that. Yeah, that's – I'm, I'm for that uh, because at that point, you're already writing your story because that means you know the outcome of an actual baseball game. You're not, you're, not waiting, you're not waiting to see what happens, you know, with that it's 18 to 6 with a, you know, an inning to go and, and you should be in safe territory since there's no clock. Chase, Chase can relate to this because when you do the NBA games, right, like you're watching the clock and obviously everything slows down at the end of the game, but you still have a clock. So you're kind of able to manage your story development there uh, in baseball. That was part of the laboriousness of the first two months of last year when the bullpen kept blowing it. It was wearing out everybody involved. It was wearing out Davey Martinez. It was wearing out the team. And it was surely wearing out writers who, like, at, during that Mets series we were talking about, we were joking in the press box, like all of us just stopped and we just waited until like the seventh inning before we even thought about starting to write a story because the bullpen was such a hot mess that you, you couldn't put trust into anything that was happening at the time. So yeah. And Clint Robinson will always have that appearance on the mound. Can't take that away from him. Chase, if you notice this always comes down to something involving Todd and his time management or like the job he has to do or something like that. It's really what this is all about. For him, he's just like, I just want to go home. This is all well, I want no, to do. I just want to manage my time properly, not go <laughs> home. I, I will say, as far as the game stories, the ones that are due at the end of the game, the blowouts are the best because you can start writing like in the third inning when a team goes up eight to nothing. 
But those are also yeah. the worst games to write a follow story afterwards, especially if the team you're covering lost. So it's, it's weird. It's like the close games are the best ones, you know, an hour after the game, after you've talked to the players to write about because there's good quotes one way or the other. And it was an exciting game to look back on. Um, so that, yeah, that's the life of a sports writer for sure. All right. My walk-off is going to be simple this time, Chase, because it's very clear to me that the Grinch could beat up the Joker without question. <laughs> so I'm going to take the Grinch 10 times out of 10. I will continue that forever, Todd. It will always be the Grinch over the Joker because he's got that sled, man. He'll just he'll run yeah. him over. Well, you might as well continue your run of bad takes. So why <laughs> stop now? <laughs> Todd, you got one? Uh, my walk-off is that I finally saw Parasite, and uh, oh, it's it good was movie. very, very good and very, very interesting and um, just so different, right? So um, we, I know we talk about movies on here a lot the last year plus, and uh, I was glad I finally sat down and, and made time to watch that because it, it, was, it was a lot of fun in a lot of different ways. Um, and, and some of the subtleties in the, in the storytelling uh, were, were really, really good uh, and made you, like, it, it's, it's hard to express that there's a bad scent on screen, right? Um, and they did it in such a calm but obvious way uh, to make you kind of like, everybody has their own formulation of that, like a, that kind of like smell um that you've come across somewhere in your life and that's what they were able to get everybody to think about um with just some really smart cinematography and and explanation and and dialogue so um so yeah if you haven't seen it, it not surprisingly is <laughs> based on the awards uh is very very good and i was glad i finally got a chance to see it very very good movie um my walk-off is uh, I got ratioed for the first time on Twitter, guys. Uh-oh. Amazingly, it dealt Wait, with... for the first time? For the Are first we sure time, that's the really? first time? I feel like that's happened to you before. Like the first this, time last week or yeah. ever? No, to this extent, it was the first time I've ever been ratioed. And the funniest thing is, is it dealt with a Nationals take that I wanted to get you guys Ooh. to wait. It, it wasn't like something controversial or like political, which is usually you know, bait for getting ratioed. Uh, but I sort of wondered aloud about Bryce Harper and the Ring of Honor. I don't know if you guys saw my tweet. I did see that. I scrolled right by it and said, I'm not even going down this road. <laughs> well, I saw some people, they're like, all right, I'll take the bait. And, and they start, I, I wasn't trying to, I wasn't fishing for, you know, getting ratioed. But basically I said, look, the guy should be in the Ring of Honor someday. Jason Worth's in there. Pudge Rodriguez is in there. He was better than those guys combined. I mean, Look, the guy won an MVP, was in the All-Star game like every single year. And my point was, the longer you wait, the more awkward it's going to get because the more he's going to be associated with the Phillies. And I said, well, what if you just did it this year? The Phillies come to Nationals Park, there's no fans to boo him. You put him in there and, you know, what's done is done and you never have to think about it again. And I got called all sorts of things, including an idiot. Uh, I think my favorite response was someone quote tweeted it and said, what a strange thing to tweet. It just like perfectly summed it all up. I got asked if I have been drinking, if I haven't been sleeping. Uh, the answers are yes and yes, but that had nothing to do with this. Uh, I was just wondering aloud, and I'm curious, what do you guys think about that take? I think the most common response was, he's a division rival in an active player. Yes, it can't not a chance. Do you no. agree with that take? Here's the only time you do it. You do it after he retires totally from baseball. Then 
at that point, he's moved on. If he's been in Philly the entire time, whatever, at that point it's done, and you bring him back and remember his time in D.C. Not when he's in his second year in Philadelphia, when he's a <laughs> Philly. It, no, Chase. No, I'm glad you got ratioed. You deserved all of this vitriol on Twitter. And Twitter's <laughs> a cesspool, but you deserved it. It's awful. Not anywhere, not anywhere close. Until when he's 50 years old, you can bring him back and do it then. Correct. <laughs> well, Thank see, you, Todd. I think, I Thanks, think there's Todd. a chance – I think there's a chance it gets so awkward that they don't put him in, and then it's just going to be this glaring omission for decades and decades uh, after his career is over. So it's I more awkward now when it's fresh out of the breakup than when he's already gone on and been married for 10 years, and then you can just be friends and it's not uncomfortable anymore. They just broke up. You can't do it now. No way. No, Chase, you've got it. I think you were drinking. Either that or you had some of your cat's catnip. I don't know what happened to you, but you were clearly not of the good state of mind, and let's hope that we never get you back to that point again. Please, you deserve to be ratioed. You didn't deserve to be called an idiot. You're, you're a good person, Chase, sometimes. Well, hey, thank, thankfully I have thick skin. I can take it. I, I thought it was all very funny. Yeah. No one was too mean, thankfully. No, we can't do what we do and not have thick skin because most people out there just want to find something to be angry about. Thanks to Carl Ravage of ESPN who joined us. For Todd Divis, Chase Hughes, I'm Nick Asher. Give us a follow, of course, on all the social medias. And if you haven't subscribed to the National Stock Podcast, make sure you do that now and wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll talk to you next time.